Welcome to LilyPod episode 52, Joy and the Refiner's Fire. Jeff and Kathy Teichert, bringing you another episode of LilyPod, a production of Love in Later Years. We are certified life coaches, authors of the Amazon bestseller Intentional Courtship, and members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our messages are directed toward mid-singles and later married couples. We also welcome all who enjoy personal growth and enriching relationships. Friends, I've talked a lot lately about how sometimes tragedy leads to uh, the greatest blessings in our lives. And I've used an example of President Reagan and how he didn't get a job, but that kept him open to the job he eventually got a few weeks later, which, you know, one thing led to another and led him to, to becoming president of the United States. And you know, despite his disappointment early on, uh, he recognized that if he had gotten that job, he might still be working there instead of leader of the free world. And I've talked a lot about Joseph, who was sold into Egypt. And that must have seemed like a tragedy to him to be sold as a slave, and then later go to prison for a crime he didn't commit. And yet, that led to his doing great things. And I think that it's possible for people to listen to me tell these stories and say it's easy for him to say. Uh, Things have worked out for him. He's got a lovely wife and a good career. And uh, it could be tempting to, to think, to feel a little jaded or cynical about that kind of a hopeful message. But the other day I was browsing through my computer and ran across this talk I gave in February of 2013. And this was at one of the lowest points in my life. Uh, I was broke financially. I mean, I was working at a call center in the evening while I tried to get a law practice going during the day. I was depleted of emotional energy. And yet, Many of these same themes sound in the message that uh, we're going to share with you. Uh, I read the talk just as I would if I were in church. It's about 20 minutes long, and I, I think it'll be worth uh, worth your hearing. I even look at it and think about the way my life has uh, become since I gave it and think that talk was prophetic, that I was expressing faith in things that uh, I didn't fully um, comprehend or have any way to to know how things were going to turn out. Uh, But it was faith that God had a plan for me that was more glorious than I could have envisioned for myself. So I hope you'll enjoy this talk, that it will speak to your heart, uh, even as you understand that in the coming years, I was blessed beyond 
all expectation. So enjoy the talk and we'll uh, catch you on the other side. Joy and the Refiner's Fire, delivered by Jeffrey B. Teichert in the Provo Oak Hills Single Adult Ward, February 10th, 2013. During the most acute hardship of my life, a wise cousin shared this statement by President Brigham Young with me. We talk about our trials and troubles here in this life, but suppose that you could see yourselves thousands and millions of years after you have proved faithful to your religion during the few short years in this time and have obtained eternal salvation and a crown of glory in the presence of God, then look back upon your lives here and see the losses, crosses, and disappointments, the sorrows, you would be constrained to exclaim, but what of all that? Those things were but for a moment, and we are now here. I grew up in Orem, Utah, knowing little about real suffering, and what I did encounter I was able to mostly ignore. I observed a lot of suffering of every conceivable kind on my mission, and it awakened my instinct for compassion, but did not touch me personally. But in my mid-twenties, I watched a beloved little brother courageously struggle against a terminal brain tumor, waste away to about 90 pounds, and lose his eyesight and much of his hearing before he died an excruciating death at age 17. I thought that was as hard as life could get. But in a recent five-year period, that pain was eclipsed when my wife of 15 years left the church and gave up on our marriage. I watched her lose faith in everything we had together as her love for me turned cold. In the same period, I lost an election, a successful business that I had built from scratch, a beautiful custom home overlooking the ocean, all my money, and the association of my sweet 14-year-old son for about nine months of the year. I have watched my children cry with hearts broken and felt powerless to make it better. In those years, I hurt inside like I never knew it was possible to hurt. I sense that almost everyone in this ward has come to be here because, in one way or another, we have been disappointed by life. Thus, I want to speak to you today about joy and the refiner's fire. In the 61st chapter of Isaiah, the Lord gives a promise of hope and healing through the Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. I want you to feel hopeful in these promises and to believe that we are meant to be joyful and free, that suffering is necessary, but not the purpose or focus of our existence. The refiner's fire has a purpose, but it is not to leave us damaged, weak, afraid, 
and imprisoned. My favorite scriptural example of someone faced with the fire begins in the 37th chapter of Genesis. Joseph's brothers hated him, conspired to kill him, and in the end decided to fake his death and sell him as a slave in a foreign country. Think of the deep, hollow ache in the pit of his stomach. How utterly alone he must have felt. Joseph undoubtedly believed that life had gotten as bad as it can get. As we know, Joseph was sold to the captain of Pharaoh's guard. He earned the trust of his master and was made overseer in his house. But accused of a crime he did not commit, Joseph went to prison, sinking even lower than a slave. But in Genesis 41, Pharaoh learned of Joseph's spiritual gift for interpreting dreams and sent for him. Among other things, Joseph prophesied seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine and suggested that the Pharaoh begin storing grain. Quoting from Genesis 41, And the Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand, and put it upon Joseph's hand, and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, Bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. Think of that. At this time, Joseph is only 30 years old, barely of age to be in our ward. And he went from a prisoner to prime minister of the world's most powerful empire in one day. He's riding around in Air Force Two, clothed with a chain of office and royal robes, and married to a member of the royal family. If you think of it, Joseph's story is the most improbable rise to power in the history of the world. With this power, Joseph does great things. He prepares Egypt for the prophesied famine and saves a nation. Joseph's father hears rumors of abundant grain in Egypt and sends Joseph's brothers there in search of food. In Genesis 45, when Joseph finally reveals himself to the brothers that sold him as a slave, this is what he says. And please listen very carefully to how he understands the purpose of his suffering. Now therefore be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves, that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Joseph recognized the hand of God in his journey. He understood that the Lord had brought him into slavery so that he could be raised to power, save a nation, and redeem his eternal family. Joseph's story is inspiring to me because it teaches me that I do not suffer in vain. 
The Lord has a plan for me that is more glorious than I could imagine for myself. Could a person like me, who has seemingly lost everything, be raised up by the hand of God to do great things? Do not doubt it. In the spring of 1839, another Joseph was confined to prison, separated from his family with the church he had founded in disarray and desperate flight from Missouri under an extermination order from the governor. In this desperate situation, the Lord told Joseph, the ends of the earth shall inquire after thy name. During his time in Liberty Jail, Joseph wrote three of the most profound revelations in modern scripture regarding suffering. Had he not been imprisoned and forced to ponder his suffering, he may not have received these treasured revelations which have blessed the lives of millions. Try to imagine the soulful desperation behind this eloquent prayer. O God, where art thou? And where is the pavilion that covereth thy hiding place? How long shall thy hand be stayed, and thine eye, yea, thy pure eye, behold from the eternal heavens the wrongs of thy people and of thy servants, and thine ear be penetrated with their cries? Yea, O Lord, how long shall they suffer these wrongs and unlawful oppressions before thine heart shall be softened toward them, and thy bowels be moved with compassion toward them? O Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven, earth, and seas, and of all things that in them are, and who controllest and subjectest the devil and the dark and benighted dominion of Sheol, stretch forth thy hand, let thine eye pierce, let thy pavilion be taken up, let thy hiding place no longer be covered, let thine ear be inclined, let thine heart be softened, and thy bowels moved with compassion toward us. Remember thy suffering saints, O our God, and thy servants will rejoice in thy name forever. Contrast this feeling of desperation, stress, and suffering with the Lord's supreme and hopeful reply. My son, peace be unto thy soul. Thine adversity and thine afflictions shall be but a small moment, and then, if thou endure it well, God shall exalt thee on high. Thou shalt triumph over all thy foes. Thy friends do stand by thee, and they shall hail thee again with warm hearts and friendly hands. Thou art not yet as Job. Thy friends do not contend against thee, neither charge thee with transgression as they did Job. And they who do charge thee with transgression, their hope shall be blasted, and their prospects shall melt away as the hoarfrost melteth before the burning rays of the rising sun. I am struck by the hopeful imagery of a rising sun burning away a killing frost. This rising sun can be a symbol for our spiritual journey if we exercise faith in Jesus Christ, our eternal source of warmth and light. I am also struck by the comfort the Lord gives to Joseph by reminding him of the love and loyalty of good friends. Brothers and sisters, 
in my most desperate moments, when I felt the most hopeless, my faith and my friends sustained me. When we are going through severe trials, we often isolate ourselves. We assume that people won't understand or will judge us. Members of the church want to be strong and self-sufficient. But when we isolate ourselves because we are ashamed of our suffering, it is not noble. It is simply proud. The strongest bonds of friendship in my life have been forged in the refiner's fire with the friends who stood with me and strengthened me during my darkest times. One of the most important truths that I have learned from my experience is that there is plenty of pain to go around and that we will all eventually share in it in one way or another. In Alma chapter 7, we find this prophecy about Jesus Christ. And he will take upon him death, that he may loose the bands of death which bind his people. And he will take upon him their infirmities, that his bowels may be filled with mercy according to the flesh, that he may know according to the flesh how to succor his people according to their infirmities. I understand from this verse that Jesus Christ had to suffer to understand and help others who suffer. Each of us will suffer in our turn. If we consecrate that suffering to the Lord, it makes us more compassionate. We learn to minister to each other out of our own suffering. We learn to see people as Jesus sees them, to love them as he loves them, and by doing so, become a little more like him. By loving others as he loves, our pain is transformed into power. Our sorrow is transformed into joy. As Isaiah said, the Lord will give unto them beauty for ashes, the joy, oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. My counsel about walking through the refiner's fire includes three things. First, try to keep an eternal perspective. Trust that the Lord has a purpose in our suffering as he did with the two Josephs. He will use our suffering to transform us from ordinary people into something glorious. My second suggestion is to reach out to good friends for love and support, and in our turn, offer that love, support, and friendship to others. I thank my Heavenly Father every day for the friends who were there for me when the life that I had spent decades building was falling to pieces. My conclusion is related to the first two, but it is more comprehensive. At a deep level, it centers on the healing made possible by the suffering and atonement of Jesus Christ. It is the most difficult thing I will ask of you today. If you have been hurt, betrayed, deserted, or disappointed, it is natural to adopt the belief that life is hard, that you are on your own, and that nobody really cares. It is natural to suppress your hopes rather than risk the disappointment of having them dashed to pieces again. It is easier for the little boy whose parents never celebrate his birthday to adopt the belief that birthdays aren't important rather than go through the disappointment every year of anticipating his birthday only to have his hopes dashed one more time. Many of us have lost a lot and been hurt deep. 
Others have almost given up hope of finding love, having children, and enjoying the full blessings of the gospel. Others have struggled with their faith, persistent financial problems, or health concerns. We have emotional scars, deep and abiding fears, doubts, and hang-ups. The response of the natural man is to do everything we can to insulate ourselves from being hurt again. If this sounds like you, please trust that I know what I am asking of you. But you have to let it go and stop trying to carefully control everything in your life to protect yourself from pain. That requires real trust in the Lord. There will be new opportunities to love and be loved, to serve and be served, and to welcome an abundance of good things into your life. But it can never happen while you continue to nurse old wounds, seeing the world with a jaundiced eye and living on your guard and in perpetual fear of being hurt again. My counsel to you on this last point is summed up in this poem, which I wrote last year. The title is Walls. Look into a child's eyes and see the honest truth. Unhidden by fear or protecting lies is the innocence and faith of youth. He speaks without thought of consequence, truth springing from his unbroken heart, not meaning to take or give offense, nor to play a scripted part. His whole world can be watching a ladybug with wonder on a summer's day, no reluctance to take or give a hug, nor to say what he wants to say. A child can imagine a colorful story with a vivid hope which to him seems a blazing, brilliant, and endless glory, a land of miracles and magical dreams. An unkind word, a harsh correction, dampens the spirit, wounds the soul, and harms the heart's connections. The heart that wants to love and be loved is hurt by reproof and cold rejection. The soul that is open to truth from above is locked by the pain of expected perfection. The anger that quenches the fire of love and turns the heart to ice is the product of bitter anger too and exacts an unthinkable price. Deep in the hearts of many people is an emptiness none in the world can fill. It bleeds us of strength and renders us feeble as we hide what is honest and true and real. Hurt by hurt, I build my walls to protect myself from pain and doubt. One by one, I cement my bricks to keep disappointment and bitterness out. But protecting myself from grief and pain also protects me from joy and love. Protecting myself from doubt and fear quenches the light from heaven above. The walls that I build for a fortress of strength to protect me from pain and desperation morph and change to trap me at length in a prison of lonely isolation. I must let go of pain and open my soul to his love, his light, and his story. For the love of our Lord is real and strong. He will fill me with love and with glory. His pure love fills the emptiness and enables my love to flow free and begins to heal the bitterness that is locked inside of me. 
The prison walls must crumble and fall to experience liberty, love, and light. For the soul to heal and shine to all through the gift of spiritual sight. Let me be again as a little child, overcoming fear and pain. Despite dark moments and bitterness, make me open and free again. Tear down my walls of pain and shame. Let me love without fear or condition. With the boldness and trust of a little child, let my character grow to fruition. My pledge is to serve in love and joy and be to the world as leaven in the innocence of a little boy, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. This is my pledge and my prayer for all of us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. What a beautiful talk that Jeff shared in this episode. And we're just going to give a little comments here at the end. Uh, and that poem he, he ended his talk with, we actually put in Intentional Courtship because there's a application for mid-single life and dating and intentional courting that uh, is important. And that is to realize that we may very well feel very tempted to put up walls, but if we will stay faithful, if we can keep ourselves from being cynical and be willing to risk there is so much possibility for joy and success in future relationships if we will do this. Right. And I would point out, um, Kathy, that I wrote that poem sometime in 2012, which was the hardest financial year of my life. Uh, it was the hardest year of my life in many other ways, too. And mine, too, because that's when I first got divorced and it was a road I never thought I would be on. Right. And so when you gave this talk, I was fairly, fairly new to divorce and because uh, it was in August of 2012 and you gave this February 2013. And, you know, we were both single, but right. it took us years to find each other. In fact, we both went on and had uh, short second marriages that ended in divorce before we ever met. And then even once we met, we had some obstacles in the way of getting together simply because we had our own walls. Even though you'd written the poem and we both were living intentionally, we still had trauma to overcome and things to do to get ready for marriage, this right. marriage. I, I had gone through a program back in 2010, the summer of 2010, as I recall, uh, that it helped me to sort of open up my heart a little bit more and break down some of my own walls. And I realized that the stories that I had were running me. And that was part of the inspiration for the poem. And in truth, probably part of the inspiration for this talk as well. Um, I, I remember in the talk, as you followed it, reading the the Isaiah quote about gaining beauty for ashes and so on. And I said that I wanted the people listening to gain hope from that promise and to feel hopeful 
in these promises is was the exact words. And yet when I stood in front of that congregation, like I said, I was working at a call center at night for 12 bucks an hour as I tried to get a law practice going and I was depleted of emotional energy. But as 2012 was winding up and coming to an end and it had been such a hard year, I was doing a lot of thinking and praying about my life and why am I not much better off than I was this time last year, if any. And it really bothered me. And the answer that I kept receiving is, you are not meant to hide your light under a bushel. You are meant to shine. And that had a deep impact on me. And so I was in the middle of that epiphany, that energy when I gave this talk, when I wrote it, when I gave it. And I think that's one reason it's kind of has the stuff of prophecy in it, because uh, despite the fact that I was still broke, I probably didn't have more than 200 bucks in my checking account uh, and, you know, was struggling month to month, uh, barely getting by and not paying certain bills and things like that. I came to rediscover that God cared about me, that he had a plan for me, and that uh, I was getting inspiration that I could follow. And lo and behold, that inspiration led to a very bold Facebook post uh, in the same month, February, and uh, a career opportunity had arisen in Texas and I moved off to Texas the next month, March of 2013. So this was beginning, you're beginning to shine, right? Right. And can I insert something real quick? Yes. I don't even know if you know this, but when I was newly single, for some reason, my family ward thought it was a good idea to call me to be in one of the leaders of women's, uh, young women's camp. Oh, wow. And the, the theme for that camp came to me so easily. It had to have been right. Um, it wasn't anything we even had to hardly think about. We just went with it. And it was diamond in the rough. Mm. And your talk reminds me a lot of that. Your These thoughts that we're sharing, I mean, a lot of intentional courtship. I mean, this refiner's fire is us being prepared to shine, right? Right. To shine like a diamond, to be cut into what we're potential, what our potential is. Right. I, I definitely agree with, with what Kathy just said about the theme for that young women's camp and how that could be a very profound thing for someone going through what she and I were at that time. Well, and the other thing is, is actually I'll, 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 I'll give that thought later. Well, one of my favorite parts of this talk and reflecting back on it that I, that I think was kind of prophetic, um, I won't repeat the details of Joseph's story, and this is the Joseph sold into Egypt because it, you heard it a minute ago in the talk, but I said that Joseph's story is inspiring to me because it teaches me that I do not suffer in vain. The Lord has a plan for me that is more glorious than I could imagine for myself. Could a person like me, who has seemingly lost everything, be raised up by the hand of God to do great things? Do not doubt it. 
And when I read that, it, it feels so profound because I was in such an obscure place at that time, kind of like I was in the darkness of that prison that Joseph had found himself in. And yet I look at where my life is now and, you know, I'm representing the governor in important constitutional law cases and advising the governor and the attorney general and members of the legislature about constitutional law and freedom and things like that, which uh, has always been my passion. And maybe I'm not running a country, but I have come to a position of influence where I have an opportunity to do good. And no one who understood my life when I was in my 40s working in a call center for $12 an hour and you know, trying to just keep from falling further behind uh, would have predicted that I would have ended up where I have. No one, I think, at that time would have thought I would have even been in a position to marry anyone, let alone someone as great as Kathy. And, <laughs> and I, I definitely feel like I have been blessed beyond all expectations. And yet, I challenged everyone reading or, or listening to this talk to believe it, even though I had to believe it, because I was believing in something that had not happened yet. So this is this is the thought I, I wanted to share, and this is, I think, a good time for it. Yeah. That our our lives are created spiritually first. Yeah. That that you understood all of these concepts spiritually before they may they were manifest in your life. Absolutely. And so I that's really what our book, Intentional Courtship, our podcasts here on Lillipod, our videos on YouTube, everything that we're teaching is to develop in the individual who does their own personal work, the spiritual foundation to believe that which has not happened yet. Right. It so is, they can create it. It is works and it is faith. So the works are what can we do to envision what we want to happen, seeking inspiration and so on. And the faith part of it is believing that with the help of our Father in heaven, it will actually come come about. Now, I didn't know the exact form that uh, the blessings would take. I just knew that a person that had lost everything like I did could be raised up to do great things because God is a God of miracles. And I still... <laughs> You know, to quote the famous song, I still stand all amazed that the things that have happened to me uh, have actually happened. Um, I think also there was a metaphor used in this talk. Um, it says, they who charge thee with transgression, in other words, those who judge any of you, uh, for being divorced or for being in your 40s and never having married or whatever your your situation is. This is the Lord speaking to Joseph Smith. He said, their hope shall be blasted and their prospects shall melt away as the hoarfrost melteth before the burning rays of the rising sun. 
And I love the rising sun as a metaphor for our, uh, for our own hope. There was a, a chair in, in uh, Constitution Hall where the founding fathers debated the Constitution. There was a chair and it had half of a sun on the back of it. And Benjamin Franklin, and it was where George Washington sat, who was president of the convention. And Benjamin Franklin pointed that sun out. I've actually been to Philadelphia and seen it. The same chair is there. But Franklin said that he wondered sometimes when he would look up at that chair and see that sun, he would wonder if it was a rising sun or a setting sun. And he said that when the project was complete, they had a constitution drafted to propose to the people for adoption. He said he firmly believed at that time that it was a rising sun. And that inspires me because, of course, America succeeded beyond all expectation, too. And uh, I just think you have so much reason to hope, even if your life is in a really rough place right now. Another point that uh, I talked about in that talk is how learning to love others as Christ loves them uh, transforms our pain into power and our sorrow into joy. And I think that's a, a powerful idea that because we have suffered in certain ways. Uh, all of us have suffered losses. Kathy and I have certainly, and, and most of you listening have suffered severe losses as well. And, and yet uh, we have a chance by that suffering to understand others who suffer. And the response of the natural man is to do everything we can to insulate ourselves from suffering instead of leaning into it. But leaning into it is our education. Now, I want to read one final thing uh, to reiterate from the talk, which also seems prophetic. There will be new opportunities to love and be loved, to serve and be served, and to welcome an abundance of good things into your life. But it can never happen while you continue to nurse old wounds, seeing the world with a jaundiced eye, and living on your guard and in perpetual fear of being hurt again. And I was in the middle of a lot of suffering when I gave this talk. Uh, without a lot of hopeful signs on the horizon that anything was going to change anytime soon. And so it was these words, I think, express a very fervent faith in something that I could not see uh, at the time. Right, because you were spiritually creating it before it was manifest. Right. Many years before, in fact. Right. So, folks, we appreciate you listening to this talk. I hope it has been uh, enlightening and, and hopeful more than anything to you that you can see that these ideas that I am teaching now and have been teaching 
through our Lilly organization and our book are things that I had come to understand spiritually and as a matter of faith when I was still very much struggling uh, with the challenges incident to my divorce and financial issues and so on. And I want you to understand, I, I can't reiterate it enough, that if you are in that kind of position where you feel really hopeless about ever finding someone to love or really hopeless about resolving financial issues or finally getting a career that allows you to start moving ahead and make an impact on the world, whatever, whatever your concern is, and it might be all of that, you have hope. There are stories and precedents. Joseph, who was sold into Egypt, the prophet Joseph Smith, and even me have been raised up to do important things from really obscure places. And so thank you for listening. Please remember, anytime is a great time for more love in your life. Thank you for listening. Subscribe to LilyPod and get notice of each new weekly episode. If you enjoy what you heard, give us a positive review. We want to reach as many mid-singles and later married couples as possible, so please share this podcast with those you love. To access fabulous free content like written articles and YouTube videos on LilyDube, and to learn about our book Intentional Courtship and Lily Coaching Services, visit loveinlateryears.com.